Whoa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night. This is Connor Hawley of the Golden Hours Podcast, and this is a GDP Minute. Hey, guys. I'm feeling very good, man. I'm feeling very good about the action we're taking in the city right now. I'm pumped that everybody's been sending me pictures in their GDP fitties and their Corona blockers. Love it. And listen, guys, if you get any sort of value from the podcast, this episode or future episodes or past episodes, dude, please share it with a friend. That's how we grow. Super organic. If you like this and you want to keep this show alive and breathing and thriving, please just share it with a friend that you think would benefit from this. That would mean the world to me. Now, with that being said, I just had Jennifer Flackett, the head writer and producer on Netflix's Big Mouth. That show is hilarious. I started watching it when I had the COVID, binged it, and Jennifer's super smart. She's from Newton, found out she was from Newton, found the agent out, emailed the agent. Agent got back to me. They said, yep, let's run one. I said, dude, let's do it. And... You'll guys, you guys will see at the end, my master plan worked. I said, I got to send this Netflix producer my movie. I got to do it. She said she'd love to see it. So I'm stoked about that. But listen, I'm really pumped about this episode. If you're a Big Mouth fan, you will love it. Jennifer started her early career here in Newton. Went to college at Wesleyan, then shifted out to LA. Wanted to be an actress. Then she's like, oh, I'm not really feeling it. Became a writer. Big time feature film writer with her husband, Mark Levin. I hope I'm saying his last name right. And now she's killing it with the show. The show's hilarious. She talks a lot about the show. I hope you guys enjoy it. Let's keep making progress. All love, my boy. Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait. Was that not it? Hey, enter. Just you forgot to enter. Well, Jen, thanks so much for doing this. My pleasure. People are like, I was telling everyone, like I was hyping it up huge. I was telling everyone you were coming on. People love the show, so they're stoked. Wow, that's great. Now, we had talked a little bit on the phone, but before we begin, can you just give a quick synopsis of who you are and what you do? Sure. My name is Jennifer Flackett. I'm one of the executive producers and co-creators of Big Mouth. Um, I'm a writer and a director and a producer of television, and I grew up in Newton, Massachusetts. Like every other famous entertainer ever. It, it, when, including Betty Davis, an old movie star who was my favorite movie star. Now, what did she star in? Mm. Well, she starred in, well, All About Eve, which is my favorite movie, and The Letter, and... Um, I'm trying to think of human bondage. She's a real old time movie star, but you should check her out, Connor. She's, she is, she's the greatest. Now growing she's Newton's up, finest. Now growing up, were you, when you started getting into film and art around here, were you like a, a film nerd or a movie nerd? Cause I kind of think. I was a theater nerd. Oh, you were one of those. I was one of those. Yeah. I would, yes, I was, I, I, I really, I've got to say, I had quite a career in Newton North High School. Um, so yeah, I was a real theater person. I was a theater person all through college. And uh, when I graduated from college, I went to Wesleyan University in Connecticut. I came out to Los Angeles to be an actress. And about 
I guess five years in, I was really like, this is not for me. I like acting in college or high school. And my boyfriend at the time, Mark Levin, who is my partner now, we've worked together for the past 30 years, um, said, why don't you try writing? I think you'd be really good at it because I always would read his stuff and give notes on it. And so I started writing. I like kind of in those days, what you would do is you'd write a script for an existing television show. And so I wrote a show for, I wrote a script for a very little known show called Civil Wars that was produced by this guy named Stephen Bochco, who was a very big producer at the time. And I got a job writing on that show. And almost immediately I really knew, oh, this is, this is really what I want to do. First try. Yeah. It was amazing. And that was a real, I mean, I was very, very lucky. And a huge part of that had to do with Mark, who was soon to be my partner. Um, He was incredibly supportive and got my material in front of Stephen Bochco's lawyer, who got in front of Stephen. And I, so I started writing by myself. Um, our television. I worked on the show Civil Wars and then on LA Law and then on 90210. And then my husband and I, still not my husband, still just my boyfriend or my fiance, decided to start working together. And he had created a show called Earth Two. And so I came onto that show. And then we just started working solely together. And and that was sort of how I started my writing career. And, and that was how it all began. Now, when did you kind of catch the bug when you were growing up out here? Like, hmm, I, I think I kind of want to be in entertainment. You know, I think that was my whole life, actually. I wasn't, a, I was really bad at sports. I'm Likewise. Seven- so that was never an option. I was never going to be doing anything in sports. Um, you know, I danced and stuff like that. So I wasn't uncoordinated, but I was really like at capture the flag. Oh, God. That, no, you know, capture the flag. No, it was Red Rover. Red Rover was like so humiliating for me. I was always like the first person called over because I couldn't get through the arms. And then I was always the weak link. I mean, it was just, I was really, that was not my forte. So I was always really into plays and all that stuff. I mean, from like, I really remember from like fourth grade on, I went to Mason Rice in Newton Center, which was one of the great elementary schools. Like it was the greatest, greatest elementary school and it was super arty. And I did this, I, there was this group called the Freelance Players that still exists today in Massachusetts. It's amazing. And when I was, I think in sixth grade, I started doing plays there. You've been for a long time. Yeah. So I've just been, you know, I was doing that my whole life. It was always what, and it was always what I was good at, you know, like that was something where I got a lot of pleasure and I got a lot of praise from it and I loved it. You know, I, I just always knew that I would do. And in fact, my father, was the associate dean at BC Law School. And I thought after college, I said to him, I, you know, maybe I'll take the LSATs. And he said to me, what? No, 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 that's not for you. That's not what you're supposed to be doing. Like you're supposed to be in the arts. You're supposed to be an actress. Like the last thing I want is for you to become a lawyer. 
Um, so I had a lot, and from my mother too, I had a lot of support the whole time. So it never really occurred to me that I would do anything else. Now, Newton, I mean, we've talked about, there's something in that Newton water that you guys are drinking because you guys are just pumping out people in entertainment. But what, what was the group think at the time for someone to go pursue acting from Newton? Because now, I mean, I don't know if it's totally like, people would probably give you a little bit of a side eye, like, hey, I'm going to go fly out to LA and become an actor. I don't know. I found, I mean, Newton was a, gr a great place to grow up. It really was. It was a, I loved growing up there. It was, I, you know, even with all, and we'll get to all my middle school angst and all of that. It, I, it wasn't without its difficulties, but I really, I had a really great childhood there. And I felt it was a very, a very supportive place. You know, I never felt like people looked at me askance at all. You know, I felt that everyone was so supportive. I really did. All my friends' parents thought it was great. Everyone, you know, I think that they were sad that I was moving out to Los Angeles, which seemed far away. They would have preferred me maybe to go to New York City. Um, but I had a boyfriend at the time from college who was from LA Not and he made it sound like the streets were paved with gold. Um, so we went there and, you know, and luckily it all worked out, but those first years, those first years out of college, they're hard. And, you know, I always say when now, nowadays, when I talk with kids who are coming out of college, I'm really like, those first years are hard. Give yourself a break. What were some of your hustles like as soon as you had shifted out there? Did you do the classic waitress barista thing? No, I didn't do that. And in those days, there were I don't even think Starbucks existed. There was no baristas. There were still waitresses, but no baristas. Um, you know, I worked, I remember I worked at a printing company where you made actors' headshots. And, and I really liked it there. It was a really nice place to work. I remember there was, and this is before the internet just to kind of give you a sense of just how very old I am. So I worked at a place called the Working Actors Guide, where you would put all the information like a young actor would need into a notebook and you printed it up. So you would call all these places. And it's so, such a funny idea now that like this book of information, um, you know, those were my two main jobs. And I did a lot of commercials. That was really how I made my money was I did a lot of commercials when I first, when I was first starting out. I did a lot of theater, which is very rare in Los Angeles. I worked at a place called South Coast Rep, which was a wonderful theater, a little south of me. And then, but still, and I did some, I had little parts on things, but I really knew this acting thing. I really looked into my crystal ball. And I thought the best that I can hope for is to be the kooky friend on a sitcom. And, and that's if I get super lucky. And I really felt like I gotta find, I gotta find something else to do. Um, and, and then when I started writing, I felt like, oh, I get to play everything. I get to play all the parts, really. That's really how I looked at writing was like, oh, you get to inhabit everybody. And ultimately it was so much more satisfying. Um, and I also, I remember, I always felt as an actress, I was always like, 
the least pretty person. But as a writer, I felt gorgeous. And so I just felt like, oh my God, I'm beautiful. I mean, it really, it changed. It changed the way I felt about myself enormously. So I, you know, when I, when I moved over to writing, my life got a lot better in every way. Now, how old are you when you make the shift? I was probably about 24, 25 years old. It's, it's really interesting because I just turned 25. I see a lot of my friends have, are, a lot of them are at this inflection point where they're all making this massive shift at 25. Mm-hmm. You're, you're kind of pushing out of that. Like, you're not really that, you're kind of an adult now. It's like kind of scary. And everyone's kind of making these big choices. So like before that, did you kind of feel like you had a massive friction in your life? Like things just weren't clicking or you're just like, I got to. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as an actor, you do feel so powerless. Um, And that's why I think you see, especially nowadays, you see so many actors are writing their own stuff and directing their own stuff. And you can make things now when, you know, nowadays you could make everything with an iPhone. Like I, we didn't have that at all. You know, you really had to go to film school to make a movie because you needed the equipment. Well, nowadays you don't need to get that equipment. Well, that's, that's a huge change. Um, but when I came up to be an actor was, you were so powerless. No one, no one, no one was giving you anything. Like you just had to like kind of figure it all out. It was really, it was, it, it felt, felt kind of bleak. And I just was like, this does not feel like a good way to live. That's really, I really felt like this doesn't feel like a good way to live. It's time to kind of find something where you feel a bit more powerful and you have more agency. But I also think that there's real truth to there's something around the time of 25. You've been, you know, you've been at something maybe for a little while. And I think that it's good. I think it's good to always be changing things up, first of all. That's one thing that my husband and I have done our whole lives is at any given point, whether it's like, let's go and do movies instead of television. Let's direct instead of only write. Um, let's do, we did a big project for the internet at one point. Cause we were like, we got to learn about, you know, this is how old we are. We got to learn about this internet. We got to learn about social media. Um, so at every point, I think it's good to look around and say, what do I want to do? Really, what do I want to do? What gives me happiness? You know, that was a big part. I mean, right before we did Big Mouth, my husband and I took our kids out of school and we took a trip around the world for one year. I saw that. That was awesome. And that was the greatest experience of our lives. But it also was like, it was a great way to sort of like kind of demarc time and say, let's try something new and let's get some new ideas. As a writer, you're always looking for new ideas. Now, you guys hit Istanbul, right? Mm-hmm. So fun. It was the greatest. We loved Istanbul. And we got to Istanbul right before all, like, kind of that, like that big crackdown. So I also feel so lucky we got to Istanbul when we did. Um, Remember when you stayed? We stayed in, oh, God, I can never remember the, um, it's, Belogu or Begol, it's this neighborhood. <laughs> it was this fantastic neighborhood, very old. It was like kind of part of the old city. And oh, I bet now I someone, I, 
Have someone Google that. B-E-L-O-G-U, maybe, maybe, Inunu? anyway. Inunu, maybe? No, no, it definitely began with a B. Um, and we, because we stayed all in apartments everywhere we went. So we had this great little apartment. My mom, who still lives in Brookline, came to visit us there. Um, and we were there, I think, almost for two weeks. It was amazing. We really liked Istanbul. Um, and, and the great thing about going around the world is also you get to imagine all these lives for yourself. Like, what if we just stayed here? What's the, and you know, every place that we liked, I was like, what's the school, what are the schools like here? Maybe my kids could go to school here. Um, so yes, big fan of Istanbul. I went last month. Mm -hmm. Just a wild place. I had so much fun. The, the exchange is unbelievable. Oh, I you bet. Five course meal for like two bucks. Yeah, I bet. I bet it's a lot cheaper now. Um, not that it was expensive then, but that sounds really fun. And, you know, I look, I really look forward to traveling again. That's been one of the hardest things about the pandemic is just how small the world has become. Have you been able to, how do you stifle your creativity or like just like reinvigorate yourself when you're so locked down right now? Well, I mean, that's where you're really lucky or I'm really lucky to be working on Big Mouth. And we also have a new show that will come out, I guess in 2022 um, called Human Resources, which is a show from the monster's point of view. Nice. Um, and that really, like you don't have a choice. You got to keep thinking of those stories. You got to keep, you know, those characters are very, very inspiring to us. So I feel lucky to have had work that needs to get done. I think it would be really, really hard to be creating from whole cloth right now. That isn't my reality. So I don't have to do it, but I think if I was really trying to think up ideas, it would be hard. I've thought about that a lot, that it would be a lot harder to work if we were just, if we were just writing movies right now. I hear you. I, um, before we get into Big Mouth, uh -huh. can you tell me who's on your mug, who that young man is? Uh -huh. <laughs> this is my son, Finn. Um, this is an old, this is, we never, and he would be so mad that this is he's the staring right at me. He's staring right at you. He, we never get their, their class pictures. Like whenever we, like they would get their class pictures taken, we never really, we never bought those. But the one thing we would do was get their picture on a mug. And so <laughs> I have a full collection of all their mugs and it's actually his birthday today. He turns 18 years old. Shouts out to Finn, man. Yes. Is he getting drunk with friends tonight? Uh, I don't think you can get drunk at 18 anymore. You were 18 you once, man. You were 18. When I was, you no, even, I think it had just, I think it had changed by the time I was 18. But anyway. You were drinking no, booze. Because he's not seeing any friends, Connor, because it's a pandemic and you have to stay inside and things are really, you know, if you're listening to this out there, it's dark in Los Angeles right now. You know, these are, these are dark times in LA and we have to, you know, you got to really take that pandemic seriously. I hear you. I caught the COVID. Mm. Did you, but you had an okay case of it? I now have 12 toes. 
Wow. Whoa. Well, that's exciting. <laughs> it, it was bad for just like two days for the moment. Oh. My mom actually in Brookline got diagnosed with COVID, but luckily she, I mean, knock on wood, um, really had almost no symptoms. And I felt incredibly, incredibly grateful and lucky. It's so crazy how it works that way. It can body some people and some people are totally fine. Yeah. Craziness. Anyway, before we get into Big Mouth, when did you transition to feature film writing? Because you, you wrote Journey 2, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Journey 1 or 2? We wrote Journey 1. We yeah. wrote Journey 1. We wrote the first one um, with Brendan Fraser. Um, so we, so my husband and I wrote for television. He had written for The Wonder Years, which is a great show. If anyone who's listening hasn't seen it, it's well worth checking out. It's amazing. Um, and then we had worked, and he had worked on a bunch of other stuff. And then we started working together and we really realized that if we, we really wanted to write movies and we realized if we didn't start before we had kids, we wouldn't do it because television is a full-time job and it also is a very steady job and it would be hard after you had kids to give that up, we felt. So when we were around 30, we started trying to write movies and we spent a year trying to write our first movie and we went insane. We went crazy. We couldn't do it. It was very hard. Like kind of every time you'd get into the second act of a movie, we would go, oh my God, this is too hard. And finally we broke through. We wrote this movie. It was the first movie we wrote. It was called Drive. There have been other movies by that name, but at that point there had been no movies by that name. And we loved it. It was about a, a truck driver for the mob. And it started our careers as movie writers. We sold it to a producer named Scott Rudin. And though it never got made, it really started our career. And right after that, we wrote a kid's movie called Madeline um, that was inspired by the books of Bemelman. And then we wrote, I'm trying to think what else we have, like what else got produced? We wrote a movie called Wimbledon that got produced. We wrote Journey, um, which was loads of fun. And, and we also wrote and directed a movie called Little Manhattan, which is our favorite movie that we've worked on, um, which was about two, kind of a love story of two 11 year olds in Manhattan. And through there, we met Josh Hutcherson. And through that, we came on to Journey to the Center of the Earth, which was a load of fun to write. And that was right when 3D had started and it seemed like 3D was gonna be everything. And then you see how quickly like 3D just kind of went away. Like, it's just so funny. Like, I remember when we were writing, it was like every single movie is going to be in 3D now. And then kind of nothing's in 3D anymore. Um, but so we decide, so we wrote movies for a while and, and we liked it, but it's hard because in TV, you're the boss. And in movies, the writer is not the boss. And we found that really hard. And it was difficult to kind of really feel like your voice wasn't really listened to. And that's why we started directing movies. And we directed Little Manhattan and a movie called Nim's Island with Jodie Foster and Gerard Butler and Abigail Breslin. And then after that, there was this writer's strike and sort of the whole business changed. What year is this? 
this was, what year was that? It must have been around 2006. Is that the year of the writer's strike? I remember Spy Kids 3 had just come out. Um, so yeah, I think like 2006, 2006, 2007. And we wrote a bunch of other stuff. You know, as a writer, as a movie writer, you write a lot of stuff that doesn't get made. Also as a TV writer, if you're writing pilots, a lot of stuff never gets to air. And you just get used to that. That's just what the world is. Um, but right, so after that, that was around the time we were like, you know what? I mean, it took a little while. I'm just thinking of all the projects that came and went. But then in 2012, we said, you know what? We're gonna take the year off. We're gonna take a trip around the world and then we'll come back. And, and that was when we really started doing television again in earnest. And that's what led to Big Mouth. Now, did you guys have a massive like career boost when Journey One came out? Cause I remember that movie was huge. And did we have a massive career boost? You know, our careers always, our movie careers were always pretty good. They were pretty Let's good. Let's go. Yes, they were pretty good. They weren't fantastic, but they were pretty, it was pretty good. And so, Finn's here. Yeah. Is that Finn? Oh, oh that was Finn. <laughs> happy birthday, my boy. Sorry, continue. No worries. But, you know, it, it, like, I think it was all, it was all good. It was all fine, but it, it did not, no, it did not change anything. Let's put it that way. So when you write a screenplay like that, studios aren't like hitting you up more consistently. Like, okay, look, Jennifer has the ability to make this massive blockbuster hit. Let's sign her up for the next one. It doesn't work I mean, that way. We, we really like to work on our own material and I don't really think that's how Hollywood is designed. It's not really that interested in original material. Um, and especially movies, it really requires a lot of IP, a lot of, you know, things that already exist, books, magazine articles. And very often those are owned by other people. And Mark and I decided a long time ago, we don't really like working on other people's things. We don't like feeling like we've got to convince you to work on your thing. We would rather have our own ideas and own them completely. So that's part of the way we've really structured our careers. Just to preface before we move on, I this summer I produced a 45 minute narrative feature that's in post-production right now. Oh, fantastic. I did. So I am familiar with the movie world. Just want to put it out there. Well, I look forward to seeing it, Connor. I'm pumped to send it to you. You're probably like, what is this? Oh my God. I know. Wow. 45 minutes. I can see anything for 45 minutes. Well, see, that's the bind I'm in right now. So my first rough cut was 50 and I was like, you know, should I push it to 60 or should I cut it down to 40? Well, I'm all, I feel like we're always contending with shorter is better. And by that, I mean, you should never feel that you're padding something out. Only keep the stuff that's great. And, and so I guess I'm saying closer to 40. Done. The cut I send you will be 40 minutes. Okay, great. It's just, it's always been my goal in Boston to stay here and make mm -hmm. a big 
film and put it in theaters. So like COVID was really good to us because we were actually able to like batten down the hatches. I went out, I hustled, I got some money to get it done and now I'm pumped to put it out. It's gonna be sweet. Well, I also think, you know, one of the things, one of the best things, if you can say anything's great about the pandemic is I have a feeling that being able to work remotely away from Los Angeles will be much more, much more prevalent now. And I don't, I think that it will be a lot easier to live in other places and still be in the film industry. Yeah, smaller crews I could see happening, like not massive crews. And so pivoting real quick, for Big Mouth, do you guys all work remotely? or do Now you- we do. Now we all do. Um, yeah, we haven't been to the office since March 12th. And we saw a picture the other day of our office. And somehow our plant is still alive. Um, I believe that there's a lovely woman named Blanca there who is still watering that plant. So I feel very thankful. Um, but yeah, no, we really, we were one of the first, we were one of the first TV shows, not the first. I know The Simpsons was before us, um, but we really, I remember Mark, who really is our main producer. He kind of really runs big mouth in terms of, you know, kind of making all the trains run on time. He really said, you know what, we have to stop working. And we were going to stop working on a front, like not, we were going to stop on the weekend. And then on, I remember on Thursday, he was like, nope, that's it. We're stopping now. And so we all went home and never came back again. And everyone just, you know, we do it all on Zoom. So through COVID, you guys produced the most recent season or was that already ready? No, that had already been finished. I'm trying to think maybe, I think we did, um, we did post. We did like our mixing and stuff like that online. But we, I think, I think all of our colors were done. No, they weren't. But, but because of that, I'm just thinking now, we, had, we really felt like it was hard to record our actors initially. Now we figured out how to do it and a lot of people do it in their closet. We made a little booth in our office um, for actors who didn't feel comfortable going into booths. Um, so now we know how to record actors, but in the beginning we didn't. So we really felt like unless something really needs to be changed, we ended up doing very little rewriting on season four. In other seasons, we might've done a little bit more when we got back our, we, we get back our color where it's all drawn in Korea, in South Korea. Um, but with season four, it was real, you get what you get and you don't get upset. And then in season five, we, from show 504, so from the fourth, episode on it's really all been done you know we did it all in COVID. Has that changed the dynamic between the actors at all do you think? Well in the sense that one of the great things about Big Mouth was that we used to get all the actors into a booth together and there was a lot of improving. you know I would say you know, it could be as much as 30% improv, sometimes more, you know, it depended on the scene. You know, if you get, you would get John and you would get um, Nick and you'd get Jason and Jesse all into a booth together. And, and that was amazing. 
well, we can't do that anymore. So that changes the way it works now. Now it's much, you know, there's just a lot less improv. They'll still improv by themselves and we'll remember those and say, you know, oh yeah, Jason did this thing. We'll have Nick, you know, respond that way. Um, but, but that's different and that's a bummer, but that's just what it is. Now, pre-COVID, what was the, how did, how does production work on the show? You guys go to the writer's room, then you, oh, that's unfortunate. No worries. Um, yeah, so how does production work on the show from point A to point B all the way to the end? Where do you guys start? Well, okay, so it takes, I'm trying to remember how many weeks, 75 weeks. I think it takes 75 weeks from the time that we open our writer's room to, to it being delivered to Netflix. And, you know, we deliver all of them at once because it's all dropped at once. Um, and so we basically, we have a few weeks where, as what we call, we're blue skying it. We talk about the season ahead. Um, on Monday, we start our sixth season writer's room. Um, so that's really exciting. Um, and we will talk about the season. You know, sometimes we get something like the shame wizard and we kind of know that will be, you know, sort of a theme of the season. Um, and, you know, this year in season four, we had anxiety with Maria Bamford as the anxiety mosquito, Tito, oh. who is just incredible. You guys did a great um, job. You would just want oh. to grab that thing and squish it. I know, I know. Well, you know, anxiety, it's a lot. Um, so we spend a few weeks of that, then we start breaking our stories around maybe week five, it depends. We begin having our table reads. Um, so there we get everybody together. In the old days, we'd all gather in a room. During COVID, we all meet on Zoom um, and we, we read the script, we listen to it, then we rewrite it. Um, then we cut all, then we record it. We cut all that together. That becomes our radio play. Um, and we listen to that radio play. Maybe we rewrite it then, you know, there's always stuff to make better. Then we give it to our artists, um, and our storyboard artists, you know, with our kind of directors, we have animation directors and we have an amazing crew. Um, Anthony Leoy is our supervising director and Nate Funero is our kind of producer on the art, you know, on the artist side, on the animation side. Um, and then, so they draw it all. We look at all those boards. We give notes on all of those drawings and then they make an animatic, which is like a crude, um, it's like a crude animation of it all in black and white and the, the mouths don't move. What we software? At, oh, that's a good question. I don't know what the software is. Um, Flash? Was that something? I don't know. Well, I know. Um, I know. Flash. You'll have to have. You're gonna have to have. We'll we'll find you a nice Boston animation artist to come yeah. on the show, and they can tell you all about it. Um, and then, so you you look at that, you rewrite that, and then you send that all off to Korea, and then it all comes back four months later, and. Then you have, you know, you've got, you look at that, you rewrite that a little bit. There's some stuff maybe that you feel like, oh, that could be better. And then, then you mix it and then it shows up on 
you know, your, your screen, whatever screen you choose to watch it on. Now, how do you gauge what ideas are going to be good when you're meeting with the other writers 75 weeks later? You mean, how do you like kind of what changes? Why do you think something is not so funny 75 weeks later? Well, for instance, like I'm thinking of that 2052 episode where Nick's like mm-hmm. in the sky. It seemed very current for the time. It did. But, you know, that was done ages ago, right? The idea with, you know, that if you remember in season one, we talked about Nick Star. That was just like a joke. Right. And then Nick Starr, you know, the idea of Nick Starr kept sort of coming back. And we had just this idea for a future show about Nick Starr in the future. What was that? Right. So that's like we put post-its up. So we put up a post-it, Nick Starr, the future. And then you start talking about, well, what would that be? What would the future be like? Well, the future, I think it's going to be really bad. Right. I think climate change and all that seems like it could be really terrible. You guys are super Um, pessimistic. Well, we, you know, but in the end, we got more positive, right? Change is possible. Oh, yeah. Have to believe that's possible. Um, But that's sort of, you know, what happens is you bring a kernel of an idea to the room and then, you know, usually we try and break stories in smaller groups. Um, because you can't really have 10 people pitching on a story. It's too many voices, too many ideas. So you kind of get a smaller group together and then you all start talking about what would it be, you know? And it's so funny, you can't, I'm thinking, I can't even remember. Like at that point, by that point, we had kind of a Nick and Jesse thing, but how did it come to pass about Jesse? And she's now a radical, you know, it's like you just, who knows where the ideas come from? You know, most of the time. Hilarious. Her haircut was so funny. I know, wasn't that so good? Um, yeah, she, we, we thought she was really hot. Um, and, you know, and Jesse Klein is so amazing. Um, so we're, you know, all of it, you're just kind of, you know, and on some level, and it sounds so corny, but the characters kind of talk to you and they kind of lead you where you're gonna go. and so you don't really know when you start something where it's going to end up. But that one, that was a particularly crazy one. You know, um, Mark was a big proponent of that one for a long time. He really wanted to do that future episode. But even that, like it becoming an anxiety dream, that was never part of it. But then kind of, you, you know, you're doing this, this arc about Tito and you realize, well, it is what it is. This idea of like, oh my God, my future is going to be horrible. Um, well, that's, that's everybody right now. You know, we're all so worried about the future. You know, at the time we thought that, it, you know, it ended up coming out after the election, but we just knew, oh my God, the election's gonna be happening. Everyone's gonna be so anxious. So that was also a big part of why anxiety was the monster that we decided to put in that season was because we just felt like, Oh man, when that election's happening, we are going to be at high anxiety alert. Yeah, so you guys do have some foresight every time you play an episode. I, I mean, that was particular, right? That that was really we looked into the future and we thought it's going to be coming out in twenty twenty, so that's going to be a crazy time. 
Um, I don't think that we usually, we don't really deal in, and even that season doesn't really deal in current events. We never try and think about it that way. You know, we had written two seasons of the show before kind of Me Too happened, but it felt very current. And it felt because I remember we had a whole show about Guy Bilzerian, and Guy Town and toxic masculinity. And that was all written before any of that stuff. But, you know, there you are and you're like, wow. And then when you're rewriting it, as it comes back from Korea, and now you're kind of in it a bit more. Now you're maybe five months out, right? Um, you can tweak it, but you can only tweak it. There's not that much you can do when you've gotten it back. You know, you have to be sparing with what you're going to do because it's a lot of work and you don't want to overtax your artists. I love in that 2052 episode that Jay Bilzerian's like super ripped. He's like, oh, yes. He's leading yes. The, the orgy in the car. Oh, he looks amazing. He looks amazing. Like, What's up, bro? He, he is my favorite character by far. Oh, he's amazing. And Jason Manzoukas is so amazing too. Now, do you have a favorite character? Do I have a favorite character? Well, I, I mean, I'm, I have real fondness for Connie, the hormone monstrous, you know, um, she, you know, she's very near to my heart. I love Jesse. I love Missy. I love them all. Honestly. I love John. I love, it's so funny. I love John. I love Andrew. I love Nick. Um, I, you know, they, you know, Mark and I feel sometimes like we're the parents of the crew, right? And it's a little bit like all those characters, they're my kids. I, like there isn't one I don't love, you know? And you know, one of the great surprises was how much we all love Lola. You know, like we just, we love her so much. Um, but, you know, they're all great. I love Matthew, I love him, you know? They're all, I mean, they're all great. What's not to love? I know. Now, when you guys had initially started writing the show, um, were the two hormone monsters, was the goal like to kind of mirror testosterone and estrogen and then it kind of deviated? You know, we didn't, I, I, we knew, we had our hormone monster who was played by Nick. And the minute that Andrew, we had been talking about, you know, watching our, our son was like 12, I think, when we started the show. Finn, the famous Finn. And we were watching just him and other boys his age and kind of being sort of ransacked by puberty. And we were like, it's animation. We, is there some kind of way to show that? And Andrew said like a hormone monster. And we're like, yes, like a hormone monster. And Andrew said to Nick, hormone monster. And Nick said, touch yourself, Andrew, in exactly the voice that is the voice now. And so he was born fully formed. And the hormone monstrous, while we knew that we would have one, we did not really even speak of her until episode two when she shows up. And it took a long time to figure her out. She was not as easy as, as Maury. You know, Connie was not as easy. And and it was really when Maya started voicing her that we really, really began to really know who she was. Um, but we knew always that it would, that we wanted to do a two-hander of kind of boy puberty and girl puberty and ultimately 
everybody puberty. But, you know, the idea of periods and, you know, one of the big things for me, I remember, and you really had to lead the guys there because this was a new language for them. But, you know, seeing bloody underwear was very important to me. Like, I felt like, like these are the things that I've never seen before. So I really want to see that. Um, and they, and I always say this, they were so on board. Like, I've never felt in any way like I have to convince anybody of anything. You know, our crew at, across the board is always, this is, this is a show about everybody, you know? And, you know, and that's also, you know, as I'm really learning about, you know, gender is not what I thought it was when I was growing up. So kind of finding ways to really say also, it's not like, you know, even as I'm talking about it, I'm like, well, Jen, you sound so binary, a word that I didn't know growing up. But I'm really now just like kind of, well, a lot of these ideas that we think we know so well, you know, they're they're worth taking a second look at, you know, or a first look at. I was telling my producers, like, the show does such a good job showing puberty from the female perspective. And I, like, am learning more about, like, girl puberty through the show. Something like, you know, good. you don't really learn about this stuff growing up because you're so trapped in your own mind. Well, exactly, you know, and no one talks about it. And there is so much shame, right? There's so much like, oh, I'm disgusting. Um, oh, no one could feel like this. You know, I remember when I was growing up, there was this book called Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, which was like the only thing that you, that talked about periods and girl puberty that I remembered. Um, and so it was like this, like, oh my God, there's something here. And I didn't, even the book didn't completely answer all my questions. Um, and then when, oh yes, when I was growing up, there was this book called Our Bodies Ourselves, which I think was by like this Boston Women's Health Collective. And it had all these pictures and it was, it was, you know, it was a wild book. We have it in our, in our writer's room. But like, you were really looking for things to tell you you know, what's going on. And I do like to think that we've been able to make more of a conversation around it. Absolutely. Now, real quick, can you just simplify for anybody who tunes into this, what your role, like what you do on set and how you maneuver outside of writing? So after you write, do you produce? Are you talking to the actors? What's going on? Um... Well, okay. So, and it's interesting, you know, Mark and I had always worked together. Mark Levin, my partner, had always worked side by side for say 25 years. And on Big Mouth, we really split up our, we split up our duties a fair amount. So I'm in the writer's room almost all the time, but I join Mark for record days. Um, and that's for recording the actors and the, and the writer whose episode it is. And oftentimes our other executive producers will come to record days too. So we all do recordings. Um, then Mark will take it and he really, he handles the editing of the episodes and he, you know, he makes sure, like he'll really bring us a radio play. Um, and then we turn it over to the artists. And once it's with the artists, it's really with the artists. They kind of take over from there. Does that answer your question? 
Yeah, absolutely. Now, when did you hop on? Who, when did, did Nick Kroll pitch the idea to you or? Well, so Andrew Goldberg had been our assistant many, many, many years ago. Um, Pretty family guy. Pre-family guy. He, had ju- he was in graduate school and we were looking for an assistant to our assistant, basically, because our assistant was like raising her kids and really was like, you know, it was hard for her to do stuff. So we got Andrew joined us as our assistant and his girlfriend at the time, who's now his wife. We needed a babysitter and she became the babysitter for our daughter. And now our daughter babysits for their kids. Um, It's a real circle of life. So he was our assistant. We stayed very close over the years. And after our trip around the world, we had this idea for a TV show. And we called him up. By this point, he was on Family Guy for many, many years. And we said, hey, who's a young Andrew Goldberg? We want to work on a TV show with a young writer. And he said, what's wrong with the old Andrew Goldberg? You know, I'll do it with you. I want to work with you guys. And so we wrote this project. It was called The Man's Guide to Love. It didn't go as a TV show, but we really wanted to work on something else because we just loved working with him so much. And he had this idea called Bar Mitzvah Boys. And it was about five boys from a Jewish day school. And we were like, it was animated. It was an animated show that's important in the genesis of it all. And we were like, I don't know. I don't know about that. And then it so happened that we were in Mexico City with Nick. We happened to run into him and we were there with him. He was there by himself. And we ended up spending like four days with Nick. And we realized, well, Nick and Andrew, that's the TV show, right? And that we don't need those other guys, um, even though some of them have ended up inspiring characters on Big Mouth. And so we said, what about if it's just Nick and Andrew and other people in school and we kind of make it more about puberty and we all went and pitched it to Nick and Nick really loved it. And so that was sort of how it all began. And and we're we're all very lucky. We the four of us, we are really of one mind about what the show is. I was just saying to someone, we very rarely disagree. I can't, I can't remember anything in terms of story. Well, I can't think of any major disagreements the four of us have ever had. Um, I really feel, you know, so lucky to have found this partnership with all of us. Now, a big question a lot of people reached out to me about was recasting Missy. Can you like Mm -hmm. talk about that? And was that your decision or? Well, I will say almost from the get go, there was always something where we were like, oh, this is not great. Um, And black girl. Yeah, I mean, you know, there was a reason obviously why we had her be biracial and that her mom is, you know, a white Jewish woman, but still. We never felt fantastic. And it was always hard for Jenny. And so that was something that we were really always talking about. But when Black Lives Matter kind of came to the forefront of the conversation as it, as it had to, um, Jenny really said, this is the moment. 
and we knew it was. We talked about it and we have, you know, we have black writers on our staff and we all talked about it together what's the best way to handle this. And so Jenny stepped down and, you know, and she's still an enormous part of our family. You know, she'll always be part of Big Mouth. Um, and we got Io, who's amazing. She's and Austin, right? Yeah, she's from Boston too. Wow. Um, yes. And she had been a writer, part-time writer on the show. And even though we, I think we read like 80 different actresses to play Missy, I don't think, I'm not, I was never surprised that it was Io. We had thought of her from the very beginning and she's so amazing. And honestly, I think that if you watch season four, you watch us struggling with the decision of what to do and then to be able to switch her over the way we did and for the handoff to happen as it did, you know, and that we had already drawn that. That was not because of the change. We had always, we had always wanted Missy to kind of bring her identities together. And so it was nice to have something that felt so organic as a way to switch it over. I concur. I, I thought it was totally seamless. Thank you. That yeah. was, uh, that it was obviously a really hard time um, for everyone, for the country. So this was a, such a small thing in the midst of it all, but I was glad that we had a way to change it that felt very truthful. Yeah, I mean, sometimes in TV shows, I was talking about with the producers, like, sometimes when you have an actor change, it's just not seamless at all. Like, when they change Dumbledore's and Harry Potter, or like, uh, are you a Game of Thrones fan? Sure, yes. You remember Dario Naharas used to be like that long, blonde hair dude, and then he turned into like the model from the Just for Men commercial out of yes. nowhere. Like, those kind of threw you off a little bit, but this just kind of seemed like smooth sailing all the way through. Well, thank you. We, we really, we worked hard and we got very lucky with Io. I know. I'm going to invite her up. I'd love you for you to connect me with her. I'd love it. I, w I will. <laughs> Sweet. And I, I know you have to leave soon. So I just want to throw a couple last big haymakers in there. Okay. Do it. Well, uh, my producer Riley just texted me and she said, what is, what's ahead for the show? What's ahead for the show? Well, I'm trying to think, you know, we're not, am I allowed to talk about season five? Um, when is that well, dropping? I will say, and because it's a big part of human resources, that we are gonna do a little foray into love and, and have some new monsters and love bugs. Um, and there's, you know, I, you know, Lola and, Jay will continue to be a real, you know, a combustible force, both together and apart. And I'm trying to think what else. It's so hard because you're like, season five was so long ago. Um, but when is that releasing in the spring? That will release probably next fall. You know, this year we came out in December. Usually we come out in October. It'll be sometime around there, somewhere, maybe November next. I have a feeling it might come out November of next year. We really also, we, are, we, we have a really great Christmas episode. I'm very excited for people to see that. Wait, so you mean 2021, correct? 2021. Okay. So be there in 2021. This year. Yes. 
Yes, now we're in 2021. We switched over. I know, COVID's throwing everyone off, man. Pretty crazy. Um, okay, cool. Well, I had an awesome time, man. Oh, it's so nice to talk to you, Connor. And I look forward to seeing your film. Send it on when you're ready. And, and uh, you know, keep in touch. Absolutely. Now, we have two ending bits. You just did one of them. I was going to ask you to watch my movie when I send it over, but you already <laughs> said yes, so we're good to go. Number two, this is how we start and end the episode. You ready? Okay. I'm only going to say it once, so brace yourself. All right. You have to say, hi, your name, and this is my golden hour, directly after no break in between these sentences. Hi, your name, and that was my golden hour. Okay, wait a second. Hi, Jennifer Flackett, this is my golden hour. Hi, Jennifer Flackett, this was my golden hour. Is that basically it? I told you, I was only gonna tell you once, man. Okay, so here I go. Hi, Jennifer Flackett, this is my golden hour. Hi, Jennifer Flackett, this was my golden hour. <laughs> You're about 90% there, but we'll take it. Is it hi, goodbye? No, you gotta say Would hi, like a, time. Oh, hi. I'm doing it one more time. And no, hi. this is, and then that was. Okay, you got it. Gingers hi. unite. Okay, ready? One more time, everybody. Hi, this is Jennifer Flackett. This is my goal. What, no. Hi, I'm Jennifer Flackett. This is my golden hour. Hi, I'm Jennifer Flackett. This was my golden hour. It's that was Jennifer. Ah, oh, that was my golden hour. Whatever, that we'll was take my it. golden hour. <laughs> that was my golden hour. Goodbye. Hey, I learned a ton. Thank you so much. And uh, when we hop off, I'm gonna get a good address so I can ship you a new sweatshirt. Okay, awesome. Hey, thank take you care. so much for your time. Bye, bye, Connor. All right, see you.